Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to our weekly Bible study and current event study for September 23rd, 2007. Today's subject is going to be the hexagram. And sometimes it's referred to as the Seal of Solomon. Uh, it's mistakenly referred to as the Star of David because David never had anything to do with this particular symbol. And we're going to, uh, or the six-pointed star, we're going to be looking at all the aspects of this. And we're going to see how this relates to the end times, how it relates to the mark of the beast, how it relates to the nation of Israel, and so many other things. We're going to even be looking at how many other branches of the occult use this symbol heavily in their occult ceremonies. Uh, how it's actually uh, in Mormon architecture, things of this nature. Now what I'm going to do is make this study available in the PDF format that goes along with this sermon. So you can go up, if you're on the site or if you've clicked into the audio, on that same site you're going to be able to click into the PDF. It'll just say PDF, little button there. And you'll be able to uh, basically access this whole study. Everything we're going over today, this is a very, very highly referenced study. Uh, the, the, the references on the, on the uh, one particular article, I, I think it goes into 30 or 40 references. Uh, so this is not a, based on opinion, this study. This is based on overwhelming factual evidence. A few uh, Bible verses to reiterate before we get into this study. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now I've tried to present this information to... Um, well, really, one of the first churches I went to, an independent, fundamental, King James-only church, New Testament Baptist, and a long time ago, and uh, I can remember that this was a, a big point of contention. I put this information in front of the pastor, and he didn't have an answer for it, and essentially uh, had kind of a veiled rebuke from the pulpit the next week, which was typically how he dealt with things. And, you know, I, I just thought that, <laughs> that really wasn't the way to handle something that's so clear-cut. And I've never had anybody come to me and give me anything but opinion regarding the subject. Um, there was a particular person there that was a, uh, a Jew that was saved. But, you know, she still insisted on wearing her hexagrams and things of this nature. I put the same information in front of her and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. This symbol we're talking about today, the hexagram, if you if you know, if you break down that word hex, is a curse. A hex. It's what a witch puts on you. Six-pointed star, and we're going to see how it relates to the number 666. Six triangles, six sides, six points in this particular symbol. We're going to see how this relates to the mark of the beast. This is essentially the most wicked, strongest sign in witchcraft. It's well known to witches. Yet we think, the Christians think, and the Christian Zionists and the Jews think that it's some wonderful thing. And we're going to really get into that today and we're going to see if that is so. But I've noticed the people that are under its spell are firmly under its spell and have a very low tendency to ever want to receive this information or ever want to break free from this information. Even though the information is absolutely overwhelming as far as the, the proof against it. Another verse to consider, 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
this is this is a classic example of, of us being ignorant or of of most people that would have any idea what the symbol means. Most people are ignorant of Satan's devices in regard to this symbol and how wicked it is. And we're going to see how it got on the Israeli flag. I think that's another thing that people can't get around. They're, they would think, oh, well, if it was really that way, how could it have ever got on the Israeli flag? They're God's chosen people, you know, all these other things. And, and you know, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. And then Galatians 4.16 says, I might therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Well, I can tell you right now that I get emails every week from people. Got a couple this week just on Billy Graham alone. Not a lot. The vast majority of feedback that I get is positive, but I get I get emails every week. You know, this particular week they were wanting to defend Billy Graham. Nobody gives me anything but their opinion. They'll give me some Bible verses that don't apply to the situation. Judge not, lest ye be judged. These types of things, and they ignore all the other ones that that beseech us to mark them, which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Proverbs sixteen verse seventeen and eighteen, and there's so many more. These wolves that come in sheep's clothing, these hirelings. It's as though we're supposed to sit back and not to judge them. We're just supposed to sit back and let them rod roughshod over the church, let them deceive the church, which is part of the strong delusion of Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians verse two, that God said he would send in the end times. It was clear God was going to send it, or he was going to allow it to be sent. We're just supposed to sit back evidently and do nothing about that. We're just kind of supposed to lay down and, and go along with the, the 501c3 corporate church whore that's basically going to yoke up with Rome in probably the very near future. I mean, hey, the Evangelical Church Council has already said that, yes, Rome is the one true church. Yeah, they, I mean, Rome, Rome came out and announced that about a month and a half ago. They said, we're the one true church. You guys better get ready to bow down, because it's coming. And the evangelical church, you know, movement of, of uh, the National Church Council basically, yeah, they are the one true church. But we can still have dialogue. I mean, we, why can't we all just get along? You know, one big happy whorish family is their motto, evidently. So, this is just one more of Satan's devices, but this is a particularly important device. This is not a peripheral issue, I believe, we're dealing with today. This is something that's incredibly important. I, you know... I've had this study for a long time, and I kind of tweaked it uh, last night. Uh, going through it, there were some things that came into my mind that, that I, I could add to it. So I added a little bit to this, and it'll be in its completed format when I get it up on Sermons Audio. But man, I realized how important this was. It's incredibly important. Uh, another thing is Proverbs 18.13. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame on him. That's what happens with most people. When I put out some information and they don't agree with me, yet all they give me is their opinion, what have they done? They've answered the matter before they've even heard it. They, they haven't even bothered to look at the fact. And that's how people, especially with the hexagram, tend to be. Their motto is, don't confuse me with the facts because my mind's made up. I don't care what you say to me. This is my pet sin, and I'm going to hold on to it. And there's a demonic spiritual component that is unseen, obviously, that that it, that um, this spell essentially that they're under. Especially this would pertain to the hexagram. So there's a lot of things that go on in in the modern day churches. The the Bible says, 
Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is what happens. Last week I did this teaching on the Sabbath, and I've got several emails not agreeing with me on that. And every email I received was pure opinion. They gave some, some veiled biblical references. But the thing was, is, is all these things were totally and thoroughly addressed in the study I did last week. But they had not bothered to look at the PDF I put up online. Oh, thank you. They had not bothered to listen to the teaching because their minds were made up. Don't confuse them with the facts. You're putting yourself in a very, very... When you get to that point, and I'm not talking about you have to believe what I say. You check me out. You compare it to what the Word of God says. But look at it, look at it in totality of the Bible. Look at it in the New Testament dispensation that we're in right now. This is a better covenant. The Bible, the New Testament refers to this as a better covenant. Okay, that we're living under. Who gave us that better covenant? Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. His shed blood. That is the better covenant. People, so many people don't want to look at the Bible. They want to hold on to their pet doctrine somewhere, you know, if it's the Messianic Jews. They want to just go by the Torah. They basically want to discount the New Testament. Or if they do use it, they use the Hebrew Bible, which is a perversion. So, so many people, that's where they, they argue from. They, they argue from a false premise. And when you argue from a false premise, it's pointless to even have the argument, basically. Because they don't even believe the Bible, if you really think about it. They only believe snippets or portions, and then, and then again, it can only be in Hebrew, and you have to have some rabbi interpret. That's just one example of what we're getting into here. But, we, the verse that we just quoted, rightly dividing the word of truth, and this, this is particularly appropriate with the Sabbath issue. You know, We need to rightly divide the word of truth. Are we under the Old Testament Levitical Sabbath? But that was thoroughly addressed last week, so please, if, if you have any questions on that, listen to that teaching, look at the PDF. The evidence is absolutely, totally overwhelming. I would rather it be that way, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be, isn't it better if we can put out something that's absolutely, totally overwhelming, as far as proof goes? Or would it be better if it was nice and gray? And we couldn't really figure it out, and it was nebulous. And these, and now, granted, there are things in the Bible like that, because the Bible says, we see through a glass, but yet darkly. Okay, so there's some issues, yes. They're tough to figure out. And a lot of times, those are the very issues that, you know, obviously, we don't have to be totally dogmatic about. They don't relate to salvation. It's some other little thing that's really doesn't, it's not going to affect a whole lot right now. Um... But this issue today is a very, very extremely black and white issue. And it is extremely important at the same time. A lot of times people say, oh, what does it matter? We're going to see what it matters today. So, some things we're going to be looking at in regard to this study. Um, this is kind of a little outline. That the six-pointed star is associated with Saturn worship. Now, Saturn is the sixth planet from the sun. Saturn has six letters. Saturn is an acronym for Satan. And we're going to look at Saturn a lot closer today. The six triangles in the six-pointed star is the Egyptian hieroglyph for the land of the spirits. Now we're going to see that the six-pointed star predated the Jewish religion, essentially. Okay? Uh, 
And the thing is, is it didn't even show up on the Israeli flag until Israel became a modern day nation. Up until that point, we're going to look at we're going to look at when it was actually used. Uh, there's a case to say that this was the actual ancient Egyptian seal of Solomon, but it was not the Star of David. David didn't have anything to do with this thing. Okay, but Solomon clearly, clearly fell away. Now. There's a case to be made that maybe when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, I had an email this week from a gentleman, that maybe that was his repentance of that. Hey, I hope that's the case. I really do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, you know, I think it's hard to be 100% dogmatic, but it would seem to present a good case for that. So so I, I do appreciate that email. And um, uh, so again, these are issues that, again... We could sit here and debate about all day. It's pretty tough to be dogmatic. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect a whole lot. But it was an interesting point he brought up. So then, if we go a little bit further, in astro-mythology of the Egyptians, we find that the belief that the first god-man, Horus, Horus I, and his death and resurrection, his death and resurrection is Amsu. Now, the six-pointed star was the first sign or hieroglyph of Amsu. Okay, which is associated with the god-man Horus. Okay, so the, the six-point star was the first sign or hieroglyph of Amsu. So this, in other words, when we first get the actual beginnings of the modern-day human occult religion, essentially going all the way back to ancient Babylon, we have the first sign or hieroglyph as being the six-pointed star. Amsu was also known as the risen Horus. He was the first God-man risen in spiritual form. He was the first counterfeit Jesus Christ. Because the Satan always attempts to counterfeit these things. Always. Always, always, always. This is why we have all throughout the Babylonian mystery religions and all the way up until modern times, we always have the father, the mother, and the child. We always have this. In Babylon, it was originally Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. It's a counterfeit of... It's, it's basically one big gigantic satanic counterfeit. And what happens is, is when different races of people come up, they adopt that same counterfeit, they just put different names on the gods. They just repackage it. And they keep doing it over and over again. That's all it ever is. If we go further... The six-pointed star was used in the mystery religion and in, 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 in initiation rites. Now, I'm looking here at a building. This article was entitled, The Mormon Architecture and the Origin of the Six-Pointed Star. I'm looking here at the assembly hall located in the Temple Square in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is the north side. And there is a, over the doorway, there is a gigantic hexagram on a Mormon building. Now, what's this, what's this Jewish, supposedly Jewish sign doing on a Mormon... We know Mormonism, if you study Mormonism, is just basically repackaged witchcraft. Okay? Um, Joseph Smith, who was the guy that started, you know, the Mormon religion, basically what he did is he stole the secrets from Freemasonry. Okay? When he was killed in jail, he was giving the universal distress signal for the Masons when they killed him. Who killed him? The Masons. There were Masons outside the jail and inside the jail, killing, they had guns and they killed Joseph Smith.
okay? Joseph Smith had taken the secrets from the Masonic religion, because that's what it is. The, the, the Masons essentially are, are repackaged Babylonian mystery religion, okay? It's, it's going to be a very, very uh, close example of the one world religion that we're heading into, which is going to be witchcraft. And he had, he had absconded with a lot of their secrets. And I, I know that there's this one man, Bill Schneblin, that was a uh, high, high-level Freemason. He actually ascended to the 94th degree. A lot of people don't realize there's degrees above the 33rd. But they're in different, different parts. I think it was the Palladian Freemasonry. Or some European sect. And he ascended the ranks of, of the Mormon religion unbelievably fast because he already knew all the tricks from the Freemasons. He already knew them all. So he was able to go in there and just rise like, you know, you wouldn't believe. Because he already knew it. They were just repackaged. That's all it was. And almost every false religion on the planet is some kind of repackaged form of witchcraft, particularly at the higher levels. Anyway, I don't want to get too far off on that rabbit trail. But... Going back to the hexagram, the hexagram is used in magic, witchcraft, and occultism. Hexagram is used in occultist Aleister Crowley, Ritual of the Beast. Now, Aleister Crowley was re reputed to be the wickedest man on earth. We're going to talk a little bit more about him soon. The New World Order will be called Saturn's Golden Age. Now, remember, the six-pointed star has everything to do with Saturn. Six planet from the sun. The Priory Design slash Merovingian dynasty will rule the world and claim to be the bloodline of Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about this more later. This is the Da Vinci Code um, myth. This relates heavily to the Da Vinci Code, what we're going to be talking about today. That's why this study is so, I think, one of the most amazing studies we were ever going to do, because it relates to so many different things that are pertinent to the times we're going into. The six-pointed star will be given at the Luciferic initiation. We're going to talk more about that. The public will be deceived that the six-pointed star is the mark of Christ, or the Messiah. Oh, 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 it's going to be the mark of the Antichrist. And should be the mark of Christianity, that we're going to be, they're going to be deceived. Didn't God say he was going to send strong delusion in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? That they all would believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of what? The truth. That's why it's very important what we're studying here. Oh, well, no it isn't. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. God will take care of me. It doesn't matter what I do. He knows my heart. Yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Why does it say in the Bible that my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge in Hosea 4.6? And because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And thou shalt be a priest to me no more. And then it says, I will also reject your children. Maybe it's a little bit important what kind of knowledge and what kind of truth we're embracing and operating in. I think it's pretty important. The six-pointed star. Let's go further. We believe that both Israel and Christians have been deceived by occultists who, who would have them believe that the six-pointed star is a Jewish symbol. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is not a Jewish symbol, but an occult symbol. The six-pointed star is a hexagram, a curse mark. Remember the word hex? Curse? It's what a witch does to somebody. They put a curse on somebody. A hex? It's a curse mark, no matter what name it is. They'll call it the Star of David, although David had nothing to do with this thing. The Seal of Solomon, now that's getting a little more accurate, most likely. The Double Triangle, 
um, I guess it also can be referred to as the shield of David. When the occult practitioner puts a curse on someone, he uses a hexagram. And then Revelation 10, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Okay, I'm sorry, correction on that was Romans 10, 1 and 2. Uh, so, Romans 10, 1 and 2, that verse that we just read there. So again, it says here, my heart's desire and prayer for God to God for Israel, that they might be saved. Amen! Praise the Lord! A lot of times people view my teachings as anti-Semitic. Listen, doesn't the Bible say, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who said that? Jesus Christ. Well, what is the, what is the condition of that? If you continue in my word. Most people aren't even reading the right Bible, so how are they continuing in God's word? Or if they are reading the Bible, particularly if they're messed up in the Messianic Jewish thing or the Christian Zionist thing, they're in the Torah, which there's a lot more that's happened since then. Okay, they, they, they discount the New Testament, they play it down, now there's this movement to call Paul the usurper, and don't believe anything he said. You know, you've made the word of God of none effect by your traditions, essentially. So, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples, indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, that's how we get set free. It's through truth. Well, that's why what we're doing is so important, because so much, so much of the time, I know for me, particularly, I was in bondage, huge, prior to being saved, after being saved, in a lot of different ways. There was a lot of things I believed that were not true. But if you will yield to truth, then God will show you more truth. If you don't yield to truth, well, then God's not going to continue to show you more truth because you don't just have it your way. It's not Burger King religion or Burger King truth. You just don't like, well, God, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that, but I'm going to reject this. I mean, I can't handle that. Obviously, that's my pet sin. I can't do that. We, it doesn't work that way. It's The analogy I've heard used, which I think is a good analogy, is if you're going up a mountain, and you get to a certain point in the mountain, and at every level of the mountain there's a different test by God. And let's say that test is basically, in this particular instance, are you going to yield to this truth? That could be a test. Trust me, that's one of the ways we're tested most of all. And you get to that level of the mountain, and God tests you to see if you'll yield to this particular truth. And you say, no, I'm not going to yield. Well, it's as though you stop going up the mountain at that point, and you just start circling that same level of the mountain. But you're not going to go up any higher. That's it. Until you finally get it right, or finally yield, and then you can go up. Then there's another test. See if you'll yield. Now, maybe that's not particularly, you know, everything's based on truth. But maybe it's something different at different levels. That That's true. But I think in the day and time we're living in, where Jesus kept warning over and over regarding the end times, saying, be not deceived, be not deceived. I think that particularly in the day and time we're living in, that's one of the main tests we're going to be exposed to, is truth. So, um... It says here, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to, to God for Israel, that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So you can have a zeal for God. Hindus are really zealous. Buddhists are really zealous. Catholics are really zealous. All those, those pilgrimages they go to and they get on their knees and their knees are all bloody and they're praying to the, the devil of Medjugorje and all these other things. And, uh, oh yeah, they're zealous. 
But you know what? You know where their zeal's going to get them? Straight to hell? Oh, look at me. I'm so religious. I'm so this. I'm... Oh, God, God will share His glory with no one, it says. No one. Our best day is as a filthy rag in God's sight, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. For we all do fade as doth of the leaf. And all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Okay? So, and that's something that you have to get by. You have to set your own pride aside when you deal with this type of information. So, the Bible says that Israel has a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What else does it say? It says, for blindness in part has happened to the Jew. It says, blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. What does that relate to? That relates to the fact that the Jews have been blinded in part as a nation. Not to say that no gets saved, because obviously some do. But until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, until the fullness of the Gentiles get saved, they're going to be blinded in part. When it comes then into the revelation, into the tribulation period, their eyes are going to start being opened again. And the emphasis is going to start going more back to the Jew. Okay? And again, that's a whole other study and a whole other rabbit trail. We don't have time to go down today. So if we go a little bit further, this is a... Uh, this is an email from End Times Ministries Dispatch Magazine. This is based out of Australia. This is volume 6, verse 3. Now, at, in your... So anyway, End Time Ministries Dispatch Magazine, volume 6, 3. This is September of 1994. Pages 30 through 31. And it's entitled, The Six-Pointed Star is at the Star of David. Now, I'm going to skip the, the basically this first page, and we're just going to go right to the meat here, because we're going to cover all this. Some of this we're going to cover multiple times, okay, but I think it's necessary. So here's a summary of the information on the hexagram, or the six-pointed star, and the elements which bear relationship to, the, to our subject. Uh, the star was mentioned and condemned by the God of Israel in Amos 526. And it was called by him the star of your god Molech, or otherwise known as Chun. The reference to Amos 5.26 and the Israelites having it in the wilderness was also made in Acts 7.43. Here it is called the star of Rempham. All these names refer to the god Saturn. Now, we're going to go into this. If you don't believe this, we're going to go into this real deep. Because this relates to particularly to the Bible. We're going to absolutely show you that the hexagram is what they're in reference to. The star of your god, Moloch. Otherwise known as Chun. Or Remphan. The star of Remphan. We're going we're gonna to really, really, really get into all this. Okay, so we're going to be looking at these verses a lot closer. This is more of like an outline, what I'm giving you here. Um, the second point is, the foregoing verifies that there was therefore in existence, long before the time of Solomon, uh, that this hexagram was in existence, long before the time of Solomon. He took this symbol upon himself when he went into idolatry, and it became known as the seal of Solomon in, Arab, in Arabic magic and witchcraft. Number three, there was no usage of it 
in Jewish circles until the 17th century when the Kabbalist Isaac Lura introduced it into Germany. Four, Mayor Amchal Bearer then used it in Germany to identify his address, consequently changing his family name to Rothschild, meaning Red Shield, and depicting the red hexagram hanging on the door, he later incorporated it in his family coat of arms. Now, this is extremely important. The Rothschilds are the most, from what I have studied, the most powerful family on the planet in regard to witchcraft. They are basically the richest family. They basically decide the price of gold and silver every day in England. These guys have more power from a satanic standpoint than anybody on earth. These are the types of people, and these are the types of family, the 13 families of the Illuminati. They're at the very, very top. They're the ones that basically have the politicians and these types of things on, as little puppets on strings. They're the ones behind the scenes. Okay, This was the first guy, this Mayor Amschel Bauer, he was basically the first Rothschild that he essentially had five sons, and they were the ones that started the modern-day corrupt banking systems. Particularly, it was started in Europe. Okay, this is when Napoleon and these types of things, what they would do is they would fund both sides of the war and make out like a bandit. There was a whole movie made of this in Hollywood. It's a black and white show. I've seen it. Uh, I think Doc Marquis sent it to me. Um, a, a black and white movie made in like the 40s on this. I've watched it several times. It's pretty amazing, but it shows you, even in this Hollywood movie from the 40s, how these modern-day banking families got started. These are modern-day banking families based on our modern-day banking methods that use unjust scales and balances, which are an abomination in the sight of God. Okay, and that's a whole other subject. But, this first, first Rothschild was the, was the one, what he did is, outside of his residence, he had this wooden placard, and it had a, it was red, and on it, it had a hexagram. Okay? This is how he identified his family. This is why they, they called it the Red Shield. It was hanging outside, this is how they got the name Rothschild, which is a variation of Red Shield. Rothschild, Red Shield. Okay? This was depicting the, the red hexagram hanging on his door. He later incorporated it into his family coat of arms. Now, five, the six-pointed star or the hexagram became then the insignia of Zionism. Well, how did all this happen? Well, in 1918, the Balfour Declaration, when Israel started getting this land back, and they started the formulation of getting Israel back into the lands, yes, God clearly predicted it was going to happen. No doubt about it. But Satan is always going to try to get in where God would do things as well. And there was a lot of very high-level Zionistic money that came, particularly from the Rothschilds. There's also Rockefellers. I mean, if you go to Jerusalem, there's whole streets named after the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers have, have the main museum of, of antiquity in museum. If you go there and you want to do an archaeological dig, you got to go through the, the stinking Rockefellers. These are all old, old, old Jewish money. Okay. Now again, this isn't. This isn't. I'm not trying to beat up on on the Jews. Okay. I'm not. I'm just pointing out facts. Okay. They need to be set free, just like anyone else that that is in bondage. And it's good to know history here. So, this was when the six-pointed star of the hexagram became the insignia of, of, of Zionism. 
Because you have guys like Rothschild and these types of things that were instrumental in buying up large tracts in um, Israel, modern day Israel, funding a lot of the things that went on there. They were also the ones that, that were instrumental in getting that six-pointed star on their flag. This was Rothschild's family crest. Okay? Hitler, now, then Hitler rose to power, and he used the hexagram as a badge of shame, forcing all the Jews to wear it during the Nazi regime. It arrived at the Kesnet in the newly formed state of Israel, and it became the logo of the Jewish Red Cross, which they then called the Megan David Adam. It became the centerpiece then of the, of the flag of Israel, and then it has become international symbol of the Jewish people and saturates the world as the Jewish star. Okay, but just remember, how did it originally get on the flag? Okay, we had a lot of very, very, very rich, old occultic money that made sure it got on the flag. Why would you want to use a hexagram as your natural national symbol? The highest... The, the most highest, most wickedest thing in all of witchcraft, as far as a symbol goes, why would you want that as your national flag? It's, it's insanity. But people don't bother to look into these things so much of the time. So the hexagram is also a, uh, a uh, variation of 666. The hexagram or the six-pointed star certainly has three sixes. It contains a six within a six within a six. Count the size of each side of each triangle facing the clockwise direction, the sides facing the counterclockwise direction, and the third six, the sides of the inner hexagon. And, this, and then it says in Revelation 14.11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, guaranteed, this is going to have something to do with the mark of the beast. We have talked about in two separate audios regarding the mark of the beast. And... Um, it's most likely going to be some type of tattoo associated with an implantable microchip. It wouldn't surprise me if this tattoo had something to do with the hexagram, if not everything to do with the hexagram. Okay, because it's going to be a mark, but it also says that they're going to receive it in their right hand or forehead. In order for you to do transactions, a tattoo is not going to just cut it. Okay, because a tattoo is there, it's permanent. Whereas an implantable microchip you can actually access, you can put information in and take information out, which will allow you to do your, your banking and your shopping and these types of things. Okay, so most likely that's what the mark of the beast is going to be, and we covered that thoroughly in other messages. So going back to the hexagram, in the book Ancient Pagan Symbols, the hexagram is called Solomon's Seal, not David's, not, not the uh, Star of David. Okay. This uh, book, Ancient Pagan Symbols, says, quote, The triangle, the geometrical emblem, the, the triangle, the geometrical emblem of three things, one above two, the two lower uniting to produce the higher, or the union of the positive and the negative forces to produce the third, is the most complex and mystical, as it is the most uncompromising of all symbols. Now, they're in reference to the hexagram here, and if you look at a hexagram, it looks like you've taken two triangles and superimposed them on one another, one, one uh, side pointing up and one side pointing down. Okay, that's what, what they're describing here in this, in this um, description. So it's the most, uh, they're saying in, from an occultic standpoint, it's the most uncompromising of all symbols. Three has been called the very soul of magic, astrology, and divination. So they're basically calling the hexagram the very soul 
of magic, astrology, and divination. It's that important in the occult world. But, oh, hold on, it's, it's, it's Christian, right? It's, it's Christian's Jewish science thing, right? Yeah. I mean, my question is somebody that thinks the hexagram's a good thing. We, we're, just, we're just scratching the surface now. We've got a long way to go in this teaching. How would anything you present me regarding this subject undo what we're talking about today? How does it undo that? Well, it just does. It, it's, it, we just need to ignore all the stuff you're saying, Brother Johnson. It, it, it's good. I know it is. It has to be. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. So if we go further, this book, this pagan book we're just talking about, this book goes on to talk about the Hindu triad, the Buddhist triad, and others. But here we draw lines, here we draw the line of, on the details. Solomon's seal was accepted as an occult, as a cult by the occult world. King Solomon became involved in witchcraft and occultism. Although Solomon was greatly used by God Almighty as well. Now, why did this happen to Solomon? And we don't have time to do a whole study on Solomon. I've got into this in some other teachings. But essentially, when he took, you know, the 300 wives and the 700 concubines, and the first wife that he married was the Pharaoh's daughter, don't you think these women came with like a boatload of demonic baggage? And the Bible says, above all, flee fornication, because there's no other sin that defiles the body like fornication. Why? Because there's a demonic exchange that takes place when you have sex outside of biblical marriage. It's like adopt-a-demon. Okay? And you get all their devils and demons, and you get all the devils and demons essentially to all the men they slept with. Okay, now I'm not going to be totally dogmatic about, you know, every demon, that, but I'm telling you, there is a demonic exchange that takes place here. Huge. And especially if you're having, uh, if you're fornicating with a witch which is essentially who Solomon was fornicating with. He took him wives of these people, and they, and they said that, they're, that they're, um, they drew his heart away from the Lord. They worshipped false gods. Moloch, Chun, these types of things. Moloch was, was, I mean, he was one of the chief deities of child sacrifice. Do you think that if you slept with a woman that was involved with Moloch, who demands child sacrifice, do you think that woman might be a little bit demon-possessed to the toenails? Maybe. Just a teensy bit. Do you think when Solomon slept with those women, that demonic exchange happened to him, and it affected his thinking? Of course it did. It said that he, that he built things to these gods, even, after his heart was drawn away. Now, hopefully he repented in the end. Maybe that was, again, why uh, he wrote the book Ecclesiastes. But there was a time, we know for sure, that he got drawn out, away after these things. So, if we go further, according to the Sorcerer's Handbook, quote, King Solomon, traditionally known as the Archmagician, used a spell to banish infernal beings sent by the king of demons to extract human hearts. Now, this is all referenced, this material. You'll be able to see it on, you can go to the references, and if you want to look up these books or whatever, you can do all that. In the book, The History and Practice of Magic, Volume 2, the six-pointed star is also called the Talismans of Saturn. Oh, there we go with that word again. The six-pointed star is also called the Talisman of Saturn? It is illustrated, verse and reverse, the latter is the Seal of Solomon, 
and the former is the five-pointed star. Now, on the seal of Saturn, we're going to look at that, and there's going to be pictures of this in the teaching we, we do. On one side is a hexagram, and on one side is a pentagram. Okay, a pentagram is a five-pointed star. The latter is the seal of Solomon. The former is the five-pointed star, commonly called the pentagram. Details are given on how to make these symbols and the materials to use. In other words, this is something that a witch uses. They use a talisman for certain things in witchcraft to invoke different devils and things of this nature. The hexagram, if we go further, 666, the sign of Satan. The insignia of the globalists of the Kabbalists, the Rothschilds, and Zionism is the hexagram. Now, I also said the Kabbalists. That this is the highest form of Jewish mysticism, witchcraft. Okay? This is probably was probably originally learned in Babylon by apostate Jews when they were taken into captivity from Nebuchadnezzar. And it has been used in high-level, false Jewish religion ever since then. Okay, I guarantee a lot of the people that Jesus Christ rebuked, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were using the Kabbalah. Why did they have no, no eyes to see the truth? Why did they have no eyes to see that they were crucifying their very Savior? Well, they were deceived. They had a religious spirit on them. And trust me, Kabbalism is one of the highest, most powerful forms of witchcraft. So, should Christians wear the six-pointed star, the hexagram? Surely not. To do so is an abomination to our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the time of the publication of the book, The Six-Pointed Star. Now, this is a book you should read if you have any doubts further after this study. Please read this book by O.J. Graham, The Six-Pointed Star. Um, at the time of this publication, in the 1980s, these figures were given that 30% of the Jews living in Israel were not religion at all, even atheists. Of the remaining 70%, the majority were religious only formally, Few were very deeply committed. O.J. Graham himself, a Jewish of Jewish ancestry, now a Christian journalist, writes, quote, The Jewish Almanac does not explain which Jews decided to make the six-pointed star the symbol of Jewry. Nor does it state when such a vote took place. Some Jews will have nothing to do with this symbol. Well, I've already kind of given you a little history on how the six-pointed star ended up on the Israeli flag. Okay? Some Jews will have nothing to do with the symbol. Others do not take care to check it out. The majority of people could care less. Again, this is the biggest problem with most of this information. Whether you're a Jew, Buddhist, or whoever, it's apathy. They don't care. Who cares? Whatever. I don't care. As long as I'm getting by, getting mine, getting my fair share of the pie, I don't care. I ain't going to look into this stuff. That's fine. That's your prerogative. Then it, then it goes on to say, some are shocked to learn it is pagan, but do not think the matter is even important. This is what OJ, I, 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 trust me, I've dealt with this firsthand. I've dealt with this firsthand. I don't think it's important. I, I think what we've talked about today, just even already, is pretty important. Then it goes on to say, then what is the real symbol of the Hebrew people? This is, this is interesting. And again, I don't want to get super like dogmatic about this part. But I think they make a good case for this. The number seven, not the number six is God's perfect number. The symbol given to God's chosen race as far back as the Exodus is the menorah, or the seven-branched candlestick. Read all about the menorah, which played such a vital role in the tabernacle and was placed in the holy place in Exodus 25. More verses about the menorah are 1 Kings 749, 
Second Chronicles 4.7, also in the New Testament, Matthew 5.15, Revelation uh, 1 and 2, and 19 and 19, verse 16. And then also that gives you some, some references here. So that's, you know, again, I'm not going to go off too far into the menorah thing today, but it is something that you could check out, and I think it's absolutely, totally, way more biblically correct than this hexagram thing. So the hexagram... Um, is also going to be associated with the New Age Universal Brotherhood. And we're going to talk a lot more about this, but just to kind of whet your appetite. This hexagram, uh, in regard to the Universal New Age Brotherhood, is, this is a, uh, a excerpt from a, uh, a New Age teaching. We focus our efforts to pray by visualizing a powerful symbol. Now, this is how the New Agers, especially those ones that are higher up, are thinking. So they're going to focus their efforts to pray by visualizing a powerful symbol. The symbol of the six-pointed star. The shining like the sun and radiating God's healing light to all the world. Well, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say that Satan was going to come with all lying signs and wonders? He's going to heal many people. Oh, well, how can he be bad if he heals people? Because Satan will do whatever he has to do in order to deceive you. Okay? And then it says the six-pointed star is a symbol which actually works in a magical way to help stimulate the light within every human heart. It is a symbol for the new age, portraying men and women working in partnership with God. That should be a small g. Their God, Satan. As, as the creator as of the golden age, which is surely coming. This, you know, this is one of the reasons why God says in the Ten Commandments not to make any graven image. Because everything always gets messed up when you do that. Every single time, when you start making grave images of things above, or things on the earth, or things in the, in the sea, you are always going to get into trouble. Because man is always going to want to have this tendency to bow down and worship the creature more than the creator, as it talks about in Romans 1. But what does it also say about those same type of people? That they've been given over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient meaning not fit or apt. And then it talks about men lying with men and women with women. This is very dangerous. When you get into to worshiping and bowing yourself down to symbols that God never ever gave you commandment to bow down and worship to. Never. There's any New Testament commandment. Where did Jesus say, Thou shalt make this symbol before thee and you need to bow down and worship it. I don't see it anywhere. It's very, very dangerous when you start getting into that stuff. But it's this religious spirit that people want to do this. And then, um, if we go... Now we're, I'm going back to... Um, you can... Okay, so moving on with this. Um, the challenge in writing this report was to make a difficult topic easy to understand. And, if possible, inoffensive to Israel. But it's not going to be possible for that to happen. For it is not, and this is the guy that was writing this article originally, for it is not my goal to condemn the Jewish people, but to condemn the six-point star, which is a curse mark. Now, what I did is I pulled from a lot of different sources in this. There is no one person that put together all this information. I basically gleaned from a lot of different sources in order to do this. So I'm not going to take credit for anything in this report, but all I really did is pull it together from different and various internet sources um, that were all, you know, basically, this is all reference stuff here. The Bible says in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, I will make of thee a great nation in regard to Israel. I will bless thee and make thee thy great, and make thy great name, thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, 
And I will bless thee that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the main way that all families of the earth were blessed was through Abraham. Because the Bible says, if ye be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Abraham was the star of the Jewish races. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then we have the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so that's how the families of all the earth would be blessed. Uh, primarily. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. So if we go further, the history of the six-pointed star. The six-pointed star is not a Jewish symbol, but an Egyptian symbol, which Israel adopted in the wilderness due to their apostasy. Now this is important, and in a very interesting point here. How did they, how did it ever get associated, you know, with them? Acts 7, 37-43 says, this is that Moses to whom, the, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turn back again to, uh, into Egypt. Now this has a lot to do with with the hexagram, okay? Because hexagram, the hexagram was originally an Egyptian symbol. Very, very, very powerful witchcraft symbol of, of the Egyptians. Didn't the Jews turn back to Egypt almost as soon as they got delivered? I mean, weren't, didn't they make the golden calf and when Moses came down, you know, he broke the Ten Commandments and they were all worshipping, they were basically dancing around the golden calf naked? I'd say that's pretty much backsliding. Okay, so, and then it says, um, in this is, again, Acts 7, verse 37 through 43, And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifices unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. And again, you know, they're worshiping their pantheon of gods or whatever, that they had learned, most likely, in Egypt. God gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Rimpham, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon." Okay, so this verse that we just read from Acts 7, 37 through 43 was, in, uh, was said by Stephen, who was essentially like the first martyr for Jesus Christ. Okay? And he was rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and this was part of the rebuke. Okay? Yea, you have took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rempham. This is what we're going to be looking at. What is the star of your god Rempham? Figures which ye may, which ye may to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Now, what had happened is they had brought false witnesses against Stephen, and what Stephen did is he bears the true witnesses against them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by quoting the testimony of writers that they own to be inspired. He speaks of the persistent rejection of God and his servants, by the nation Israel, till at last it is brought home to themselves and, and arouses the maddened enmity of their hearts, it was the final trial of the nation of Israel. This is when, really, when the blindness in part really started pervading as far as the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is what I'm talking about here. Okay, this is one of the main things that, that, that um, 
as far as God giving them opportunity after opportunity to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders at the very, very top continually and continually rejected that. And part of it, he talks about this star of Remphan that they carried into the wilderness. Okay? And the tabernacle of Moloch. And Moloch is one of the most vile, again, deities of all time. He was, the, he was one of the God, main gods of child sacrifice. You took your little baby, you, you, wanted a, uh, you wanted a financial blessing, and you took your little baby, and they had the, the, the statue of Moloch with his hands outstretched, and he had a hole in his, in his stomach, and you would put your little baby on white-hot hands that were, there was a fire burning under there, and the little baby would instantly be burned and would roll into Moloch's stomach. How unbelievably sick is that? One of the most vile, vile deity ever on the planet Earth is associated with the star of your god, Remphan. We're going to look at what is the star of your god, Remphan. Well, we're going to see that. Amos 5.26 says, But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch in Chun, which is also another name for Remphan. Chun is also another name for Remphan. Your image is the star of your God. Now this is an Amos. We were in the New Testament a second ago in Acts. Now we're in the Old Testament, Amos. The star of your God, which ye have made to yourselves, therefore I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord. See, the thing, again, I've said this before, and we're going to be doing a series of things on the whole Messianic Jew, Jewish, Jews for Jesus, um, Christian Zionism, Hebrew Roots Movement. We're going to be doing a whole, whole series of studies on these. Because I think they're so dangerous. The tenets that they operate in. What do they do with this type of information? I send this to them and they have no answer. None. But yet they, they come back to me with some, I don't know. It's never anything to refute what I'm giving them. It's just usually opinion or some verses taken out of context. They're not searching this matter out. They're not rightly dividing the word of truth. They, their minds are made up. Don't confuse them with the facts. They're under a spell. The universal Jewish encyclopedia declares that the six-pointed star, according to the Rosicrucians, was known to the ancient Egyptians. Ancient Egyptians? It's not a modern-day Jewish symbol. This thing's been around in witchcraft since the beginning. The six triangles is the Egyptian hieroglyphic for the land of the spirits. These are all reference things that I'm giving you here. The ancient, it's also referred to as the ancient Egyptian seal of Solomon. In astro-mythology, the Egyptians were the, we find belief in the first man-god, Horus, and his death and resurrection as Amsu. So in other words, Horus, when he died, was actually... It, when he was in his resurrected form, he was also called Amsu. The six-pointed star was the first sign or the hieroglyphic of Amsu. So the first devil god, man-devil god, that supposedly ever died, okay, when he was resurrected in his resurrected form, the symbol that represented him was the six-pointed hexagram star. Yeah, that's the kind of company I want to be in. Doesn't the Bible say to flee all appearance of evil? Well, you know, you associating with yourself with this, I don't care what your intentions are, how are you fleeing all appearance of evil? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better to, to err on the side of safety? Show me where it says in the Bible where it commands us to, to take up this 
to take up symbols and to wear them, and these types of things. I don't see it anywhere. I see a lot of warnings against it. So Amsu was also called the risen Horus. He was the first man-god risen in spiritual form. The six-pointed stars associated with Saturn worship. Therefore, this beast is Saturn, and his mark is the six-pointed star. Now again, Acts 7.43 says, Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, I will carry you away to Babylon. And again, we just we just talked about Amos 5, 26 and 27. But you have, you have borne the tabernacle of Moloch and Shun, Remphan. Your image is the star of your god. Moloch is the, is, is the Amorite name. Shun is the Arab and, Arabic and the Persian name. And remember before what I had said, that different cultures will basically repackage different pagan religions and call the gods something a little bit different. But it's still the same old devil. Okay? And the Arabic lexicon, Chun, means austere. So, astrolo so astrologers represented Saturn, which is also as associated with the number 666, as, as a planet baleful in its influence. Hence, now, this is some, from some reference thing, the uh, Biblicorium, Textus, whatever. This is all referenced. Hence, the Phoenicians offered human sacrifices to him. Who's him? Saturn. Children especially. See, Satan, the highest sacrifice to Satan is a little child, preferably an infant, preferably a male little infant boy. That's the best sacrifice for Satan, for some reason. That's what he likes best. So, this is something that idolatrous Israel also participated in. Because if you bow down and worship yourself to these gods, they're going to eventually require you to do everything that they want to do. If you want to get their benefit, they're going to eventually require child sacrifice. Now, Rimian was the Syrian name, pronounced as Rimvan or Remphan, just as Chun was pronounced Chivan. So this is where we get Remphan from. This is just another variation of, um, of Moloch, Chun, Saturn, these types of things. So this is the star of your god Remphan, what we were talked about earlier. Moloch had the form of a king. Chivan or Chun was that of a star. Remphan was the Egyptian name for Saturn. Saturn, six planet from the sun. Saturn, which is basically an acronym for the word Satan. Saturn, which has six letters in its name. A lot of sixes there. So Ramphan was the was the Egyptian name for for Saturn. Now, if we go further, Remphan also means this is from Strong's, the shrunken as lifeless, the name of an idol worshipped secretly by the Israelites in the wilderness. So evidently, um, this is something that you know when they when the Israelites went into their forty year captivity. Why did that primarily happen? Because the ten spies went in to spy out the promised land. They didn't. Only two of them had the faith to say we can go in and slay the giants. They had too much demonic baggage from from Israel, from um, Egypt, evidently. I mean, obviously they went back and they were wanting to worship the golden calf, and they lost faith that quick. Well, there was to, God had to raise up a whole other generation in the wilderness. 
But it says right here, it says, it, in, if we go back to Acts, it says, O ye house of Israel, you have offered me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. What is 40 years? Well, that's when it, Israel was in captivity in the wilderness. After they had been delivered to go into the promised land, the ten spies went in, they said, where's... Eight of the spies came back and said, we're as grasshoppers in their sight. There's giants in the land. We can't beat them. They had no faith. The only ones that had faith enough to believe were Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones allowed to basically live, too. If you remember, going into the promised land. The whole, the whole nation got wiped out. God had to raise up a whole other generation. What were they doing in that 40 years? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch. This is, it says... Sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Remphan. Could you imagine that? Now, they were still getting fed. Weren't they getting fed with manna 40 years in the wilderness? Weren't they having all their, their, their needs supplied for? And yet they were still taking up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Remphan? You talk about God being long-suffering. I can't even conceive of this. But it's something to think about. It's, it's an interesting point here. I never really thought about that until I did this study. I mean, I ain't saying that like I think I'm Mr. Perfect or whatever, but man alive, I mean, you'd think that, I don't know, man have fallen from heaven and, <laughs> you know, the, the birds, you know, every night they had, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, so, this was, the Remphan was the name of the idol worshipped secretly by the Israelites in the wilderness. The star of your god, Remphan. See, they had the hexagram in the wilderness. And they were worshipping this thing. And it was associated with Moloch and Chun and Saturn and Remphan. All demonic deities that required human sacrifice. I don't know. Now, if we look up Chun in Strong's, Chun is an image or a pillar, probably a statue of the Assyrian Babylon god of the planet Saturn. You see how all these are all intricately tied together and crisscrossed back and forth? See, that's called confirmation. The Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Well, what we're doing today is we're giving you about, I don't know how many witnesses. Hopefully over a hundred. Chun, an image or pillar, probably a statue of the Assyrian Babylonian god, the planet of Saturn, and used to symbolize Israelite apostasy. Now, let's talk about the talisman of Saturn. We already talked, we mentioned that. Let's look at this further. On the first face, now, when you download this PDF online, you will see all pictures of these things that we're describing. So you can look at them, and you can print this out, and you can show it to, you know, your nearest rabbi, I'm sure he'll love you for it. You know, I got into, after I did that Prophecy Club tour, I got into a uh, big heated debate with a supposed Messianic Jewish rabbi. And this thing went on, I don't know how many days, or, you know, but he, he was not willing to listen to any truth. I gave him, all I did is give the guy scripture. All I would need is the book of Galatians. But they don't want truth. They want to stay in their nice, smug, little Jewish, Messianic Jewish, whatever, and think that they're better because they're celebrating the festivals and they're doing this and look at what a good Jew Christian I am. You can't have it both ways. 
That's false religion. That's an abomination from the pit of hell in the sight of God. Jesus Christ is a free gift you either choose free to uh, you know choose freely receive or freely reject. You want to add to the salvation plan by saying I'm a good Jew or I'm a good this or I'm a good that. That's an abomination from the pit of hell. For you say by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what all this is about. Man wants to be religious. He wants to do his works so he can boast about it. So I, I personally, I don't want to because I know all my righteousness are as filthy rags apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. They just need to set aside the ego. But again, there's a huge demonic component with this. So, if you know somebody bound up in this, the best thing you can do is pray for them. Um, pray that the Lord would give you an opportunity or an opening. Maybe direct them to one of these sermons. It's probably going to be very offensive to them. Well, your life as a Christian is not a popularity contest. Okay? Almost the vast majority of what we get into in an everyday week, you know, all that really matters is when you stand before God. Is He going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Are your works going to be burned up as wood, hair, stubble at the judgment seat of Christ? Or are they going to be gold, silver, precious stones? That's what the Bible says the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. And there, there will be some that will be saved, yet so as by fire. Meaning, yeah, they were saved, but they, it's like they got saved, yet so as by fire, by the skin of their teeth. Which is actually a biblical statement. Skin of the teeth is, is actually a... I don't know, what is it said in Job or Ecclesiastes or one of those? Anyway, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not up here judging you or acting like I'm Mr. Super Christian or I think I'm better. Okay, I'm, I'm preaching as much or teaching as much to myself as I am anyone that's hearing this. Okay, um, this is something we all need to hear, including myself. So, if we go further, the talisman of Saturn on the first face is engraved. A pentagram or a star with five points. On the other side is engraved a bull's head enclosed in a six-pointed star and surrounded by letters composing the name Rempha. <laughs> okay, now, what, I, oh, I wonder what the, uh, I wonder what the star of Remphan means. Huh. On the other side is engraved a bull's head enclosed in a, in a six-pointed star and surrounded by the letters composing the name Rempha. So on one side you got a pentagram, which is a five-point star. But on the other side is engraved a bull's head enclosed in a six-pointed star surrounded by the letters Rempha. I wonder what the star of Rempham is. Hmm, I don't know. The planetary, which, okay, so Rempha, which is also considered the planetary genius of Saturn. I mean, how much cross-confirmation do you need? This is according to the alphabet of the Magi, which are like the, you know, ancient magicians or whatever, occultists of old times. So I'm looking here at the talisman of Saturn. And on the opposite side, you have a bull's head in the center. Probably, this relates to the golden calf that they, that they you know, erected in the wilderness there. It's a six-pointed star, and the words around it, uh, the, the letters form the word Rempha, in, I, I believe, Hebrew. 
That's the star of your God, Remphan, the hexagram, the six-pointed star. I'm going to go ahead and, and stop here and go to part two of the teaching.